This time, Ron Wilhoit will come with a message, He is the Rock, His work is perfect. Don't you love that title? Well, I thanked Matt once before, but I will thank him once again. I had to make that phone call that I've only had to make two times in 18 years. So in 18 years, I've had to make that phone call twice. And it was early. Not going to be able to fulfill an assignment. Matt, thank you again for stepping up and talking about gifts. I'll tell you what, you know you're sick when you can't even make it to see your wife and your mother-in-law ordained as a deaconess. Like I told Rick and Brian, I said, praise God for the gay with boys is that I could lay there in bed, propped up, look across the room, and I watched the whole thing happen. But it is much better to be on this side than that one. You know, following the lead of my good friend, my dear brother, and I'm going to say true gift to this congregation, and that's Reg Nolan. Following his lead, I tried. I tried hard. I sought out. I sought out with a lot of energy and effort what little I had this past week. And I was weary from my research, but you know what, brethren? I could not find anything pagan about daylight savings time. Those newer folks here today, which I'm very glad to see you, that means absolutely nothing to you. But as you can tell by the laughter, it does to others. But like I was telling my wife this morning, nothing so-called pagan about it, but I don't know about you, anything that would try to rob me of one hour of weekend. I just, is very suspicious beginnings now, people like Ken, there's like going, what's the big deal? Monday has a whole new meaning to Ken Barton than it used to. But Monday will get here one hour sooner. Well, I want to start with just a very few questions for you to ask you about a situation that I kind of, I guess, lived a couple of weeks ago when I was out of town for a week of training in a completely other time zone. How long has news been entertainment? How long has news been entertainment? Now, we've got cable. We've got dish. We've got internet. Sometimes we have cable, dish, and internet. There are those that just have the good old free TV. And, of course, you have radio. With all of this, how much news do we have access to? It's a lot, isn't it? It's too much. As consumers, do you think we are more or less informed? Consumers of all this news, I did hear the word less. But here's the question. Are we informed about the reality of a particular situation? Or are we being instructed by opinion? Are we informed about the reality of a particular situation? 
were instructed by opinion. Like I said, I was recently away for a week for some <clears throat> really excellent training, excellent week. If you've got to be away from home for a week, you want it to be a good week, and it was a really good, enjoyable week. And as we got to the training facility, you know, we kind of, okay, where do we go? You know, that kind of, I'm the new person, and that kind of new person walk, so everyone knows that, hey, that's the new person, go help him. Oh, it worked. He said, training hasn't started yet. Why don't you go ahead and go into the lunchroom? Get yourself a tea, get yourself a coffee, whatever you want. We've got some snacks over there, got some fruit. Make yourself at home. We'll get started here in a little bit. So I did that. Sounded good. I go in there, and there's a particular news network. See, we don't just have news. We have news networks to where networks are totally news, complete with advertisers also. You might think about that, too. So anyway, on the news, early in the morning, right before 8 o'clock, they presented the factoid. Now, it's what I call the factoid. It's the little nugget. It's what we're going to talk about because it's newsworthy. The factoid at that time, see, we were, we were post-physical cliff. So now it was time for the sequester. So early in the morning, I'm greeted with sequester. And the possible impact to you and I that this sequester may bring us. Well, it was time for class. Well, 10 a.m. rolls around, you get yourself another little break because training is a little more casual than grinding something out. So we go right back to the, the, the snack room, break room, lunch room. The same news network is on. But see, they now have run that factoid through a pole. Factoid, we're going to run it through the pole. It's time to go back to class. Come back for lunch, and between 11.30 to 12.30, it was the bickering and the polarizing about those results. Where was the factoid that we started with? Well, here's how it went. Brian, if you'll hit that first slide. It's polling time. You get, to, you get to go through this also. Now, the factoid about the sequester, okay? The sequester. This was the question that was polled. Does America have a spending problem? We're polling. That's the question. Does America have a spending problem? Pick, your, pick whichever one. You don't have to say anything. Well, interesting to note, in that particular poll, that particular day, 85% of Americans said that we do. But now you notice there's three lines, and these are mine, because I'm kind of following suit of how this whole day played out about this little factoid sequester running through a poll. So on the next line, after does America have a spending problem, the next line is where I want you to put where. Where? Where does America have a spending problem? If you said yes. Ah, I don't want to know. That might tarnish the results. No. So the next line is what would you cut first? Okay, you got it. People agree with you. You've identified where. What are you going to cut first? The next line goes like this. Who in the room had had the worst idea about this? 
Now, if somebody's name came to your mind at that question, you have been successfully steered. You've been steered away from the factoid, away from the question, to now where we bicker and polarize over opinions about that very point of which we didn't talk about at all. Brethren, we need to be informed in fact and reality other than the result of this next slide. Informed in fact and reality. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Indoctrinate. To instruct in a doctrine, principle, ideology, etc., especially to imbue with a specific partisan or biased belief or point of view. That's what we want to stay away from. To seek to be informed, in fact, in reality. When I'd gotten back from the trip, I was talking to my wife about this and how it just seemed so bizarre to have this little day play out with something that really shouldn't be discussed and really talked about and really addressed at a much higher level than people bickering at each other about their specific opinion on why they believe it or why they don't. But see, that to me is what news is. It's that entertainment aspect of news to see what we're going to wrangle over other than really trying to address things in this country, in our lives, in our families, within ourselves individually from a scriptural perspective. So I told my wife, I said, I wish if I could take control of all of that media just for just a second and I could break into all of that, I'd like to ask my own question. And the question comes from probably my favorite bit of scripture at the moment being Psalm 19 and also our Pastor Lawrence Gregory had a fantastic sermon recently about Psalm 19. And Brian, as we go to the next slide, this is what I want to know from people. This is what I would like to know. Do the heavens declare the glory of God? Do the heavens declare the glory of God? What kind of answer, what poll results do you think I would get from that question? It's a simple question as far as the answer that you would be given. Yes, it does, or no, it doesn't. My wife seems to think that the majority of people would say, yes, they do. So I said, all right then. Staying in Psalm 19, let's go to verse 7, Brian, the last slide for this part. If you were to take the same people that said, yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, how would they address verse 7? That the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. I think those numbers would significantly decrease. But this is what I want to look at today. This beautiful psalm Psalm 19. We have a wonderful sermon from Lawrence. 
about that first part, the A part of Psalm 19, the declaration of the glory of God. That the heavens are there and the firmament being His handiwork, but as we look at Psalm 19, verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect is from the Hebrew tamim. Hebrew adjective, tamim. And it has such a wonderful definition. It has such a wonderful definition when you align it next to what indoctrinate is. As you look at Psalm 19, verse 7, and we see the law of the Lord is tamim. It is perfect. Tamim, the Hebrew adjective, what is complete, what is complete or entirely in accord with truth and fact. It's not partisan. It's not biased, nor is it man's point of view. The heavens do declare, and the Torah of the eternal, the law of the Lord is perfect. Here in Psalm 19, when you take 19 and you flip it, you get 91, right? How many occurrences of Tamim are there in the Hebrew Scriptures? 91. When you add 9 plus 1, or you add 1 plus 9, you get what? 10. It's what he wrote on two tables of stone, correct? What is the number in life? I remember watching my daughter compete in gymnastics, and what number were we hoping for that she would get, which designates as good as it gets? It's a 10. It's 10. Now, what verse are we in? We're in verse 7 of Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7. 19 plus 7 is what? It's 26, right? Right, Reg? 26. Here's where I'm going to need Reg, though. Psalm 19, verse 7 added together is 26. Tamim, Strong's number, is 8549. You add 8 plus 5 plus 4 plus 9, what do you get? It's 26 again. I know there's some numbers people in the congregation. But the Torah of the Most High is Tamim. Now before David, the psalmist, so described God's law, so described his Torah, his doctrine, his teaching as Tamim, Tamim was presented to Abram. So let's look at Genesis 17 and in verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99-year-old man, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. It's Tamim. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Tamim is how Abram was invited and offered personally to walk before the Most High. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now he says, I am the Shaddai El in verse 1. And he continues in verse 2 of Genesis 17. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply you exceedingly. And we know that his name was changed at this point. His name was changed from something meaning exalted father 
Abram to father of a multitude, Abraham. And looking at the life of Abraham, thinking about everything that followed after that, was he perfect? Was Abraham perfect? Now we know as Isaac was instructed to sojourn in the land, during the famine he was told, sojourn in the land, don't go down to Egypt. And the Eternal said he would be with him. And then the, the covenant promises that were given to Abraham would then be transferred on to him because of that his father Abraham heard and hearkened to what he heard from Genesis 26. But was he perfect? Or is it the walk that was set before him? Was he perfect? Or was it the walk that was set before him? Just think about this throughout the rest of the message. Now here in the life of Abraham, at the moment in his life when his name was changed, from Abram to Abraham, exalted father to father of a multitude, this necessity of name change for what was going to happen in his life through the covenant promises that, of course, would follow on to Isaac. This is the second occurrence, the second time in Scripture that we find Tamim, the second time in Scripture that we find Tamim rendered perfect is in the life of Abram. Abraham. If this is the second, where do you suppose we find the first? That's right. It's in Noah. Let's look at Genesis 6, verse 9. Remember the question, was Abraham perfect? Or was it the walk that was set before him? <clears throat> Here in the first occurrence of Tamim, the very first time in the life of Noah, Genesis 6, verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect, Tamim, in his generations. Notice, and Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. It's a walk. What did he say to Abraham? Or he said to Abram right before he became Abraham. He said, walk before me and be perfect. As we look in the life of Noah, perfect in his generations, what? And he walked with God. Tamim. Now, if you place a 1 in front of 19, and you place a 1 behind 19, what do you get? Psalm 119, verse 1. As we look at Psalm 119, verse 1, the beginning of the psalm and also beginning that eight-verse part of the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph portion of this psalm. Last night I was sitting with my Bollinger's Companion Bible in my lap and just looking at the expanse of Psalm 119 and just trying to wrap my mind around the mind that would inspire such an incredible psalm to break out those eight verses for every letter and put it the way it was. And I just said to myself, how, how do you describe Psalm 119 
And I just wrote down, it's a glorious amplification of Psalm 19. And it's incredible. But on our subject today, Psalm 119, verse 1 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Blessed are the tamim in the way. Now that in the way is an interesting part of that verse. Blessed are the undefiled. Blessed are the tamim in the way. Specifically, what way is so well defined for you right here following that? It's who walk where? In the law of the Lord. The walk set before Abraham. The walk with God Noah had. What David says, the law, the Torah of the eternal is perfect. It's tamim. Psalm 119, blessed are the undefiled, the tamim in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now let's skip over to Jeremiah 6 in verse 16. Because we know that it is our Savior Jesus who instructs us that we are to ASK. That's ask, seek, and knock. Notice what Jeremiah 6, verse 16 says. Thus says the Lord, Stand you in the ways and see. And ask. There it is. Ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? So you're supposed to stand in the ways. How many ways are available to us in the world today? There are as many ways offered to us in the world today as there are news networks. And we stand there. But what do we ask? We ask for the old paths that where is the, the good way, and we walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. That sounds good to me, to find rest for my soul, to acknowledge that I'm tired of laboring for things that rust and corrupt. I want to stand in all of these ways which are nothing but confusion and distraction and I want to ask where is the good way because I want to find that that rest for my soul just like each of us do but how does this verse conclude but they said we will not walk therein I'm not going rest for your soul not that way what if I kind of do a little bit of my own thing? Can I get a little bit of rest along that way? Kind of a blending of paths, a blending of ways. Can I do a little bit of this? I'm tired, brethren, but I still kind of want to do it my own way. It's more comfortable. It's not true rest. True rest is only found by the good way. But they said, we will not walk. Now see, this reminds me of an incident in Jesus' life that we read about in Matthew 19.
Matthew 19, verse 16. <clears throat> one came unto our Master, one came unto our Savior, one came unto Jesus and said, Good Master. Notice the way he positions this. I mean, we've all asked this question, you know. Hey, what have I got to do? I want you to tell me. What have I got to do? Because I want to do it. One came and said unto him, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He was probably tired, wanting to know beyond the here and now, realizing that what you can gain, what you can hope for, what you can attain while you're breathing on this side really isn't worth very much. So when thinking that thought, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said unto him, Why do you call me good? That's still a puzzling response. Always has been. But there he says it. Why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if, puts it right back on him. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said unto him, Which? Which? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> he begins. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't want you to steal. Don't lie and bear false witness. I need you to honor your father and honor your mother. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And notice what the young man said. He said, All these things have I kept from my youth. What is it that I still lack? I've done all that. What is it? What is it that I still lack? And now this is where I think that can't prove it, but it, I see it in my mind that Jesus closed the gap on him. He could have been as far as from me here to Ilya having this conversation. And after he says that, and after that response, what, what do I lack? Closes the gap on him. And I could see him almost right in his face, looking right in his eye. And he says, if you will be perfect, if you will be perfect, you go and sell all that stuff that you've got. You go sell it. All that you've got, you give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And what does he say? And you come and follow me. It's exactly what we're to ask for. Where is the good path? In the confusion, chaos, it's distraction, the multitude of ways which are presented in this world and trying to find the good one, what's he say you ask? See, he asked Jesus, didn't he? He asked him. And then right there, he says, if you will, you sell what you've got, you give it to the poor, and you come and follow me. It's the same response. It's the same response of those back in Jeremiah. I'm not going to do it. Scripture said he was what? He was sorrowful. There was sorrow. Sorrow for the fact that what? He might have could have just sold a little bit. Well, that would have been like just going out a little bit like Pharaoh wanted them to do. Just go out just a little bit. Go do your sacrifices and then you come on back. He says, no, we have to go all the way. It's like what Malachi says. It's a whole tithe. It's not just my pocket change with my bills in my back pocket. God doesn't know. He knows my heart. 
It's a wholeness of person and a wholeness of intent in relationship to want to walk before him in that prescribed, prescribed way. But he was sorrowful, but he turned away. All right. It is a very popular choice. It is a very popular choice. But as we sit here on the Sabbath, and as we sit here, as those that do walk a peculiar way, in the world's terms, who have asked and have been shown that this is the way, walk in it unto Him, before we can begin to think of something that might be a little bit of an elevation in our thoughts along this way, we have to remember what Isaiah said when he said that all, like sheep, have gone astray. All. And we have turned everyone to his own way. And see, brethren, it's at this point right here in the fact that we have all gone astray and that every one of us have turned to our own way that brings us to the third, which will be the final tamim that I want to look at today. And it, of course, it is found in the provision that is the Passover. You see, it's there when we've all gone astray, when we've all turned away to our own way, that we find the provision of Passover. And as you look at Exodus 12, verse 5, it is, of course, about the lamb. Your lamb shall be tamim. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Without blemish is the majority rendering of the Hebrew adjective tamim in Scripture. Without blemish. Brethren, in the provision of Passover, your lamb shall be without blemish. In the provision of Passover, your lamb shall be tamim, and it's all glory, and it's all praise, and it's all honor unto the Father that he is perfect. That he was perfect in what he did for us, and that he will always be perfect. I want to look at Isaiah 53, that part of Scripture that lets us know that, oh yes, we went on our own, but praise God, we stood in the ways. We stood in the ways and we asked. That's all Messiah wants each of us to do is to ask. Ask, seek, and knock. You'll find that you have to ask the question. So often we want to ask a question, we don't like the answer because we're trying to bring something that doesn't belong to that answer. What was Abraham allowed to bring when he got out of his country, out of his kindred and away from his father's house? The eternal was to be his everything. That's the walk before him. Because that's the walk of reliance. That's the walk of dependence. 
It's not the walk of, I will walk with you, I will walk before you, but I want to bring something with me that makes me feel better. Because I just don't know if this is really the good way. But the third occurrence of Tamim in the scripture is the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. But notice the next part. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've all turned, but it's all been laid on him. In verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Notice, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, verse 11 is what I've gotten written down as my constant meditation from now to Passover, my constant meditation, because there is so much in this verse that I just want to know more. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. But notice this next part. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You know, when I think of Jesus standing there, robed in purple, blood flowing from his head, being crowned with a crown of thorns, standing there before a murderous crowd. And to hear Pilate say, Behold the man, crowned and robed. But we have to think of many months before that, right? When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming unto him, what did he say? Behold the Lamb! Of God, which what? Takes away the sins of the world. Well, as I close, the title of the message is, of course, from Moses' song, which I do believe, brethren, that we will sing, joyously singing that song. Let me just read to you Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. Like the title suggests, and the title is and states, He is the rock. His work is perfect. His work is tamim. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Now, He was... Intimate with Abraham as a, as, a, as a... It's hard for me to put my mind around the intimacy of relationship, of covenant relationship, and God Almighty desiring that of Abraham, and Abraham hearing and hearkening and following to have that way presented to him and says, Abraham, I want you to walk before me and you're going to be perfect. And then to know that it was Noah that walked with God 
And then when we read about that specific psalm that David wrote, he says that I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be moved off the good path. The good path. Because brethren, his yoke is easy, his burden is light because of what he endured on our behalf. He did the heavy lifting. We just have to ask. The good way leads to Him. Well, it's time, brethren, once again, it's time to draw nigh. It's time to draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to us. It's time to cleanse our hands. It's time to purify our hearts. It's time to be single-minded. And being single-minded to be desirous to partake in the Passover that is in our Messiah.